Again. Good morning. How are y'all? Is that better? Don't worry about the technical difficulties today. We're kind of running around a little bit. If the ladies have to use the bathroom, it's locked, so just hold it. And I'm just kidding. We have a few around the corner. You could be able to use that. But welcome to a church plant that happens sometimes, all right? Um, but it is, uh, we are very excited to be here with you all this morning and uh, to be starting a new series. So uh, last week was Easter. Uh, the weeks before that, we were uh, walking through John, and we've been walking through that book for a while now. This is our last kind of uh, full sprint in John. We're going to do uh, seven more weeks here, this week included in the seven, and we're going to kind of finish up uh, John. If you're new, uh, last year we actually started in John 14 and kind of went to the end of the book, and then beginning in September we started in John 1 and are traveling up through chapter 13. I know it's a backwards way to do it. We didn't intend to do that, but uh, we figured we might as well finish the book once we got so far through it, and so uh, we're excited that you're here and excited that uh, you'll be uh, just traveling with us through that book. I do hope it blesses you. Um, and encourages you in that. I have a couple of really quick announcements. One of them I'm really excited about. Well, I'm both excited about both of them, but uh, one of them is we have uh, a new uh, group in East Austin that will actually be uh, meeting up, a new community group. And so if you live in East Austin, you've been kind of wanting to get plugged in, trying to figure out how to do that. This is actually a great time to do that because uh, one of the groups is multiplying and it will be uh, a little bit uh, more Southeast Austin, but still kind of right in the heart of the city. And so um, we would love for you to get involved in that. You can check that on your communication card or other things that you may want to sign up for. You can check that on your communication cards as well. Um, one of the things that we get to do uh, in the life of the well is we get to kind of celebrate community and family together. Uh, what we do is uh, we do a, a class once every quarter uh, or kind of trimester, if you will, called Covenant Community. And what that is, is it's kind of like our membership class, except it's membership on steroids, kind of, all right? Um, we get to really learn what it means to be a part of the well. And one of the things that we really try to emphasize is we don't kind of view this church just as a church and membership is just kind of a check in the box. You do it and then you become a member and that's about it. But we really want to be a family together. We really want to love each other and encourage each other and build each other up and be a good family for each other. And so today uh, we get to introduce actually 21 new family members here um, in the life of the well. That deserved at least one little something there, all right? Um, and so I'm going to have everybody who is a new covenant member uh, come on up to the stage. Um, and I just want you all to be able to see them and I want to be able to pray for them um, as kind of a new community. Uh, a lot of these people you may actually know a little bit. You may have seen them around. Um, some of them, they literally came maybe two or three weeks before the covenant community uh, uh, started. And they came in and then they were like, oh, we love the church and they jumped right in. So you may not have even gotten a chance to see or interact with every one of these people yet. But um, this is our new family. I think there's also a picture uh, of somebody who may not be here today. Yes. Um, there you go. You get the picture too, all right? We're praying for it. We're praying for him too, all right? Um, but yes, we really, really love y'all. Uh, we are so excited that you all are joining up our family. And so would you all with me um, just pray for them uh, for a moment and just really uh, pray that the Lord would bless them and also use them to bless us as a church body. All right, let's pray. Um, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for uh, new family members, God. Um, Lord, I know that you care deeply for your church, that you literally, you place people into your church, Scripture says, that they may build up the body, that we may all grow into the fullness and the likeness of Christ. 
And so God, as I think about these people and as I look at them, it's so obvious that you have brought them into the well, that you have gifted them in certain ways. And right when we need it as a church, you place them in that they may be able to bless us. And I hope that in turn, we are able to bless them. God, would you unite us as a family? Help us to glorify you, Jesus, in the things that we do together. Let us be a true church in the the truest sense of the word. God, where we would love each other, encourage each other, sharpen each other, press each other on to know you more, Jesus, for you deserve all the honor and all the glory forever and ever. And so God, I pray that you would uh, glorify yourself through them. Bless these new members, God, with uh, uh, more and more of your spirit, with more and more of your presence, God. I pray they would in turn be able to bless us and that ultimately you would be made much of, Jesus. You deserve all the glory, God. We love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Give them a hand. Ducks it up. <laughs> All right. Thanks, y'all. That's encouraging. Um, if you want to know more about the well and you're trying to figure out the well, we actually had something called First Steps this morning, uh, just a class where we get to uh, learn more about what the well is and stuff like that. Uh, we actually have packets left over from First Steps, so if you didn't get to go but you do want to learn more about the well and you don't know if you want to dive fully in yet or not, they're on the information table right as you walk out, so feel free to grab one of those packets and you can learn more about that. All right? I have to start off my sermon with a confession. All right, so would y'all allow me to do that? My wife just laughed. That's never a good sign, all right? Um, Last week during my Easter sermon, uh, I did a dance on stage, and I called it the Dougie by mistake, when in reality it was the Bernie. All right, so I just want to repent of that before all of you all, okay? Natalie made sure to comment on how silly I looked, and I'm pretty sure that I got more comments about that mistake than I've ever gotten before in my life. And so I'm glad that you're listening to the important parts of the sermon, okay? Um, I'm I'm glad, but I know that I want to maintain our diversity, and making a mistake like that is not the way to do it. So I just repent of that, all right? And I knew what I was talking about, but there's so many things happening, so I apologize, all right? We good with that? Can y'all trust me again? All right, good deal. Um, Thank you for being gracious. Thank you for being gracious. Um, Okay, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We'll be in John chapter 11 today. Uh, We're not gonna be flipping around, so you can actually camp out there in John 11. If you don't have a Bible, there should be someone under every second and third chair somewhere around you. If you physically don't own a Bible, would you please take and keep that Bible? We want you to have the word of God. We want you to be able to read it during the week. And so that's our gift to you. Uh, Please feel free to take that home. You can also follow along on your smartphone um, if you would like. If you have the UVer, version app, or some people call it the Bible app. If you click on the tabs and click on the uh, live section, under there you could type in the well Austin. You can follow along in that way. Uh, There are notes, uh, places to read the scripture, uh, even poll questions, places to give. You can do everything on your phone. Uh, And if you uh, don't have uh, the app, then you can uh, type this link right into your browser and you'll be able to follow along in that way as well. Um, And so whichever way you want, through the Bible, uh, through your phone, we want you to see the word of God. I want you to know that we're actually teaching from the word. This isn't uh, my own ideas, but this is what scripture lays out. And so we want to be able to have that for you all. All right. I want to start off this sermon with a question. Okay. 
Um, and I actually want you to spend some time thinking about this question. I know oftentimes questions seem a little bit hypothetical, but I actually want you to think about and try to answer this question. Um, there's actually some space on your communication card to be able to write that down if you want, because I want you to uh, tangibly see it, okay? So if you're on your phone, you could do that on version. Uh, if you're sitting down, you're not using your phone, you can write on your communication card. I want you to begin to think about. Now, we're going to spend a few moments in silence, which I know is a little bit weird for a lot of church folk. There's not a whole lot of silence in church, but we're going to spend some time in silence thinking about it. So all you introverts are like, amen, worship, right? Um, but for the rest of us, it's going to be a little bit awkward for a moment, but we're going to spend two or three minutes just kind of sitting, and I want you to think about this question, and I want you to write it down. Is there something that you are praying or asking God for right now that God isn't answering? Is there something that you are praying for or that you're asking God for right now, right at this moment, that God isn't answering? Or uh, maybe you feel like he's kind of deceivingly answering. Like maybe he's told you something, you kind of feel in your spirit, you kind of feel like God's leading you towards something, but then as you look at the situations in your life, it doesn't really look like God is answering it in the way that you have requested. Okay, is there something, and if you can't think of something that you're literally praying for right now, I want you to travel back just a couple of months, and, and maybe you've given up praying for something because you feel like God hasn't answered and isn't going to. Okay, maybe God just is going to be silent about that, and you've kind of given up. I want you to think about that. Is there something? And I want you to write it down, okay? And so I'm gonna pray while y'all are writing the Holy Spirit would prompt in your heart the things that you have been asking and requesting and just take a few minutes to write it down and then we'll dive into the sermon. Keep thinking, but I feel led to say, don't feel guilty for writing something down. Be honest with God. God knows your heart anyway. One of the things that we see so often in scripture is the psalmist being real with God. 
And I think in our culture, a lot of times where it's busy, 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 phone to computer, to TV screen, to iPad, to conversation, to sleep, to phone, it's hard to just think and stop and try to figure out, God, what are you doing in my life? And ask God honest and real questions. And so I hope that you wrote down something. Maybe you haven't yet. Maybe as we begin the sermon, God will kind of place something on your heart. Go ahead and jot that down. Okay, I want you to, to write that down to begin to think about what is God not answering. Now, what I want to do is I want to read the whole text. Usually we kind of read a couple of verses, talk about it, read a couple of verses. I want to read this whole section that we'll be covering today because I want to chop it up a little bit. We're going to go up and down throughout the section. But I want us to have the full context before we kind of dive in, okay? So John chapter 11, we're going to pick it up here in verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of, or the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go down to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant that he was taking a rest and sleep. And so Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. But let us go to him. And so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. So you probably see the reason for this question and the dilemma that we have here in the text. You see why I asked that question to kind of start off in the dilemma. Lazarus died. Jesus loved Lazarus, and so Lazarus died. Jesus loved Lazarus, and because he loved Lazarus, he purposefully stayed away from him and let him die. I mean, if that doesn't create at least a little bit of a cringe inside of you, you should put your finger right here, something called your jugular, and you should make sure you have a heartbeat, okay? Because it should create at least a little bit of, hey, what's going on here? right? It says Jesus loved him. It says he cared for him, but yet he let him die. He purposely stayed away and allowed Lazarus to die. This is a hard text, and I'll admit that right up front. But I think that by the end of this, we'll see the beauty of what Jesus is doing here in this text. And I hope that through the text, we can see what God is doing in our lives, how he's interacting with the things that he may be not fully answering or confusingly answering. All right. And so I want to set up a little bit of the story and how it finishes uh, first. And then we're going to dive into the actual text and kind of go up and down through it. Okay. Firstly, Lazarus died. We just read that. And Jesus let Lazarus die. And his sister, and his family feel deep grief, 
right? Like they felt the grief. They didn't know that Jesus was going to raise Lazarus, which that's part two. If you're not familiar with the story, Jesus does in fact go to Bethany and he does in fact raise Lazarus after four days. But usually when we know the story, we don't allow ourselves to feel the emotion that could come out of a story like this. If you are Mary, if you are Martha, or if you are dead Lazarus, you were hoping that Jesus was going to come and heal you. And when he didn't, there was a long extended period of time where you felt a little bit of confusion, a little bit of frustration. And we even see that playing out as Mary and Martha talked to Jesus and said, Lord, if you were just here, if you were just here, we know Lazarus would be okay. And so they felt it. And so allow yourself to feel it a little bit. Don't Read the story with the end in mind. Allow yourself to be in there. If you were Mary or Martha, you'd be sincerely hurt. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus delayed glory. And that's the subject of this sermon today is delayed glory, okay? Jesus delayed glory. He did not yet reveal it for a particular reason. And what I wanna do is I wanna look at why Jesus does that sometimes, why God does that where he delays glory, in our own life, in the life of others and those where we love. And so this is why I asked you up front to think about the things that God may be doing <clears throat> and to be asking God uh, the things that he may not be answering or that may seem confusing. How is that interacting in your own life? Okay, now, real quick, I wanna say, I'm not talking about the kind of silly prayer request, all right? I don't want you to feel weird or guilty if this may be something that you wrote, but there are some times where God does answer your prayer request. He answers it with a no. All right, I'm not talking about those prayer requests. Like I personally would really, really love a Tesla. All right, I'm an Elon Musk fanboy. I'll just admit that right up front, okay? I would love to drive a Tesla. I know that God will always answer that, no. All right, there are many reasons as to why, but no matter how hard I pray, I think God's going to answer no. One, you all would judge me. Let's just be honest, all right? My ministry would then be destroyed within that. God cares more about ministry than me driving a Tesla, and so do I actually, right? And so God is good in answering no, right? So there are things where we may be asking, God may be saying, no, I'm sorry. You know, my daughter asked me for cake in the morning. I don't give it to her because I love her, right? I don't want her to be sick the rest of the day or to ruin her appetite. I want her to be healthy. And so there are things that God says no to because he knows, all right? So I'm not talking about those prayer requests. That's not delayed glory. That's no glory, all right? But I'm talking about delayed glory. I'm talking about the things that are actually biblical, the things that God even demands us to ask of him, right? So you want a job to provide for your family, Maybe you don't have the greatest job right now. You need a little bit uh, uh, more pay or a little bit more hours to be able to provide. And you're asking God, God, would you give me a job? I wanna be able to provide. I wanna be biblical. I wanna do the right thing. Would you give me a job? Maybe you've been praying that and God hasn't yet given you that job. Uh, maybe you desire a greater amount of joy or a greater amount of peace or a greater amount of hope or a greater amount of love. All of those things are biblical and by the way, promised to those who love Jesus. And so maybe you're asking for them, God, I don't feel that much joy. Would you give me more joy? And you're praying and praying. It doesn't seem like God is kind of coming through and answering that prayer request. Maybe you've been asking God to just use you for his glory. You ever prayed that? God, would you use me for your glory? I wanna be used for your glory. I wanna be used by you. And you're praying and you're sincere and you really want that and God isn't answering. You're kind of in the same situation and the same routine. He's not revealing his plan to you. He's not showing you what he wants you to do. And you're truly seeking him for his glory. And he seems not to be answering. Maybe you really desire discipleship. You want somebody to pour into you or you want to pour into someone else. Isn't that biblical? 
and you want it and you're asking for it and God doesn't seem to be asking it. Maybe you really, really desire a relationship because you want to get married or you want to be able to have a relationship, to have the emotion or the intimacy. He who finds a wife finds a good thing in favor with the Lord he obtains, Proverbs says. That same thing can be said about a wife finding a husband or a husband finding a wife. That This is a good thing. This is from God. And so you're asking God, you wanna do this and God may not be fully answering that for whatever reason, uh, maybe you really want someone to get saved. You've been praying that they would come to know the Lord. First Timothy 2, 4 makes it really clear. God wants all people to be saved and it comes to the knowledge of him. God wants everybody to be saved. This is part of what he desires. So you're asking God, God, would you save people? And God doesn't seem to be moving on that request. Maybe your grandfather, maybe your friend, maybe your coworker, and God seems to be silent. Maybe you want healing for your body or your friend's body, right? Maybe you just want Jesus to return. Amen to that. I'm praying that one, right? Maybe you want community. You want a sense of fellowship with other people. You want to be able to connect. Maybe you want uh, more money to provide or to give or to leave on. Maybe you want freedom from depression or a lighter burden, which Jesus promised. The list could literally go on and on and on and on. But I'm hoping what I'm doing is creating this, some of you. You're probably praying some of these things, and it seems like God or Jesus is delaying glory in answering that. Why does he do that? What is going on with that? How can we understand it even through this text? I'm going to give you three reasons out of this text why I feel like God delays glory for us, okay? And I hope that you see the beauty of your situation and God's plan for you in the long run through this. This text doesn't give us every answer. I'll be honest about that right up front. It may not even fully answer your situation, but I do hope it lays a foundation or a baseline to be able to understand it more fully as you carry along. Why does God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit not answer these, okay? So a few baseline things about that. Firstly, uh, there is no doubt that Jesus loved this family. Are we right? Jesus delayed glory here. Now remember, don't, don't disassociate. Allow it to be in your life too. Is there any doubt that Jesus loved this family? There's no doubt in this, right? Matter of fact, let's read again these couple of verses. Verse two, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. Verse three, so the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so we see that in verse three, the family assumes Jesus's love. They assume that Jesus loves them. In verse five, we see Jesus actually saying that he loves them. And in verse two, we have one of the most intimate expressions of love that we've ever seen in the New Testament. This is the same Mary who took some perfume and broke it over Jesus's feet, uh, $36,000 perfume, I remind you, broke it over his feet to prepare him for his burial, wept over him, wiped him with her hair. This is the same thing. Do you think that there is a love here between Jesus and this family? <laughs> yes, the Mary who sat at his feet, the, the Martha who served him the Lazarus who would go on and eventually be killed for him. Jesus loved this family. So there's no mistake for that. And you have to remember this through this sermon. You have to remember that Jesus loves them, at, like physically feels a sense of love for them. Jesus is not sterile here because that's how we can paint Jesus sometimes because that's how we view him. But Jesus isn't sterile, right? He's not just like, I'm gonna do this for the Father's glory. 
bam, right? That's not what he feels. In fact, later in the story, it says Jesus wept over Lazarus. Jesus has emotion here. Not only does he love him, it's an emotional type of love. It's a feeling that he feels toward them. And so there's no doubt that he loves them. Yet in verse six, it says he purposely let Lazarus die. He purposely stayed, right? He purposely stayed away. Because he loved him, he stayed longer, it said. Why did he do that? Delayed glory, listen to me, is not based off of love, right? Jesus does not delay glory based on how much or, or how little there is love. Jesus loves those whom he has called, those whom he has a relationship with. He loves you. And so when he delays glory, don't think it's because he does not love you. Do you hear me? Don't think that it's because he does not love you because it would be easy for us to think that. But it's very evident in this text that Jesus loves these men and loves these women. He longs for a good relationship with them. He wants them to know him. Okay, and so that's the baseline I wanna work from. Our first point today is that uh, glory is delayed for glory. Glory is delayed for glory. You can also put uh, for God's glory, if you will, at the end of that. Glory is delayed for glory. Glory is delayed at times so that God may be more glorified, so that God may be made much of. Now, that may sound a little bit weird to those of us who aren't thinking or used to speaking in those terms, but we'll clarify that in a second. But glory is very clearly in this text delayed for God's glory. Okay, uh, where, uh, one of, something interesting about this text, where Jesus was, it would have been about a day's journey to Bethany. Okay, and so I have a little chart that I wanna show you actually. It would have been about a day's journey. And so I want you to think about this for a second. Day one, the messenger leaves to Jesus. That's actually a day that Lazarus died. Okay, day two, the messenger returns with the message that Jesus said he will not die. Now the messenger doesn't know that Lazarus has died. So he's probably very hopeful. Hey, the king's gonna come or whatever it may be. He returns to a funeral because the person had died. Day three, Jesus purposely stayed longer where he was. And then day four, he finally leaves and goes to Bethany himself and arrives there, right? Now, there was a rumor at the time, okay, that someone could be healed or raised after two days. That was kind of a, a, a rumor that would go on that they have heard of that, they have seen that, that they actually wait to bury the person sometimes until after two days because the rumor was that within a two-day window, he may still be healed or may still resurrect, that was kind of the thought. And so if Jesus would have returned with the messenger immediately, what day would he have arrived? Math, come on. I know you've been out of school for a while. What day would Jesus have arrived? Day two, right? If he had left with the messenger right away, he would have got back on day two. And so Jesus in Delane was making it no doubt that what these people were about to witness in Lazarus' resurrection was from the very hand of God, nothing else. He gave them no doubt in their mind that it was actually him who was raising Lazarus from the grave, that he was the actual resurrection. Because if Jesus had went back at day two, the rumor could have been, oh, well, it was within two days. We've seen this happen before. We've heard of stories about this. We think this may be medically possible, they thought at the time. And so Jesus in Delane was doing what? Making sure that people knew that it was God who was gonna raise Lazarus from the dead. 
Glory is delayed for glory, for God's glory. Are you tracking with that? See how if Jesus had left right away, we would have assumed maybe this is Jesus. Maybe Lazarus was not yet actually dead. Maybe, but now after four days, there's no doubt in anybody's mind that this was actually Jesus who rose Lazarus from the grave. Jesus made sure that they knew that this was him who was doing it. He made sure that he was receiving glory in this. But see, Jesus in waiting is trying to bring glory to God. Jesus was purposeful. Jesus wasn't using bad and turning it into good. He was in control all along. Are you tracking with that? He wasn't allowing or, or, or seeing something bad and going, oh no, what do we do about this? And then he went and turned it for good. He was actually the one who was in control the whole time. Jesus was in control of this situation. And what was his purpose? That people would see that he has the power of resurrection, which only God has. And therefore, that they would see that Jesus is in fact God. That Jesus has the power of God. He is the son of God, that he can actually raise people from the grave. See, without this, we wouldn't be 100% sure or not whether or not Jesus can raise us from the grave. But with this, we know that Jesus can not only raise himself from the grave, which we celebrated last week, but also that he may raise us from the grave too, because he already showed it in Lazarus. Lazarus was very clearly dead. But Jesus' delaying showed that the glory of God and the resurrection is from the hand of God and God alone. Jesus is going to go glorify himself, and therefore he waits a few days longer. Secondly, okay, that's the first one, Jesus uh, glorifying himself. Secondly, Jesus frequently uses the word glory for himself in this gospel. So if you've been with us for a while, you've seen very many times Jesus says, I'm going to glorify myself, or the Father's going to glorify me, or when I am glorified, and he says this over and over and over again, okay? And so a quick pop quiz, because everybody loves pop quizzes. So make sure you're still awake and still with me, right? Pop quiz, what does Jesus mean when he says he's going to glorify himself in this gospel? What does he mean? You can talk, don't worry. What does Jesus mean? I'm gonna go glorify myself, he says. What does he mean by that? All right, we're gonna go back in John chapter one and we're gonna start that message all over again, all right? I'm just kidding. (laughs) What he often means in that is that he's going to go die. That's what he means. He says, when the son of man is glorified, and he means his death. When the son of man is lifted up and receives glory, He means pain for you and my sin. When the Son of Man dies, so he often associates the word glory in this gospel with his own physical death. And he says it over and over and over again. I'm going to go be glorified. And so when Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave, do you know that this was the very thing that the Pharisees ended up saying, okay, enough, enough is enough, we have to kill this man. This was the very incident, this incident right here was the thing that got the Pharisees saying, this is enough. We've seen him teach many things. We've seen him heal blind men. We've seen him do all these things, but this is the last straw. If you want to read on about that, we'll read about it in a couple of weeks, but look at verses 45 through 53. Jesus, the Pharisees are are debating with each other. They're saying, this man, if he keeps doing things like this, the whole world is going to follow him. And this is the very reason why they began to pursue the death of Jesus because Jesus went and raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave would ultimately lead to his own death. Now, what does this mean? How is Jesus in delaying glory, bringing glory to himself, or how is delayed glory revealing glory? How is that happening in this? Jesus promised that Lazarus' sickness would not lead to death ultimately, which it did not ultimately. Lazarus did not fully die, but Jesus glorifying himself would eventually lead to his own glory or to his own death. 
You're tracking with that? What this says is that this is what he's telling his disciples in verses 10 through, or 7 through 10. He's telling his disciples this. Hey, look, the light is here with you. When the darkness goes out, you can't walk anymore. I need to do what the Father has sent me to do is another way of saying that. I need to glorify the Father. I, I need to bring death upon myself so that other people may live. Jesus knew this. And so this would not lead to Lazarus's death, but it would lead to Christ's death. This would not lead to Lazarus actually dying fully. Jesus would raise Lazarus from the grave and he would live again, but it would lead to Christ dying fully. And Jesus knew this before he went on. The call to bring this dead man to life would actually lead to the author of life being put to death. That's a simple way of putting that. The call to bring this dead man to life would ultimately lead to the author of life being put to death so that he could be glorified. That's what he says. Let us go that the Father may receive glory, he says in this text. Let us go so that God may be glorified. He knew that going to do this would ultimately lead to his death. The the disciples knew it too. They said, if you go back in, don't you realize they're going to kill you? They were just trying to stone you. Why are you going back in? And Jesus said, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm the light and I need to show people that so that they may not walk in darkness. Let us go back. And Thomas who we usually give a lot of grief to, shows a moment of uh, bravery and says, well, let us go and die with them too then. And they go back in knowing this would lead to death. Glory delayed is actually for the glory of God, but the glory of God sometimes shows itself in very fascinating ways. For the glory of God ultimately led to our salvation. Do you realize that? Do you see why you want God to be for his glory sometimes? why you want God to be about his glory because God's glory is very, very often for our good and for our joy. In Jesus glorifying himself, he died on the cross to take the punishment of sin so that you may have life. The author of life was put to death through bringing this dead man to life. God was trying to pave a way for redemption. Sometimes God delays glory so that God can be more glorified in our lives. That's what this text is showing us, that God's glory is our good. Are y'all tracking with that? That's important for us to get because we often get kind of weird when we think about the glory of God and God being for himself or for his own glory. That's a beautiful thing because for you, that means your redemption. God is glorified when you come to know who he is. And so Jesus made that possible. Jesus went into that, ready to receive that. That's what we celebrated last week in Easter was Jesus going and dying for you and then defeating death. Finally, on this first point, glory being delayed for glory's sake or for God's sake. Look back at verse one again, okay? Do you know what the word Lazarus means? The word Lazarus, it's most likely a shortened version of the Hebrew name Eleazar, which means God assist or God helps, okay? And then Bethany means house of suffering, I want you to read that and back into the text, right? Let's reread that. Now a certain man was ill, the one whom God assists in the house of suffering, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Praise God for his sovereignty that even in names he gives, he's given us clues, right? Even in the people's names, even in what he was about to do, he's trying to give us clues about his purpose, about his plan here to ultimately glorify himself for his glory and for our good in him. 
And so God, his, his death brings about his own glory. God assists, God helps. God is the one who gets the glory for healing here. Nobody else, nobody else. Point number two, and this will be a very short point, but it's equally as important, is that glory is delayed for salvation or for evangelism, if you will. Glory is delayed for salvation or others, if you will, in that sake. Look at verse 15 again. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. 15, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then if you will, jump over to verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Do you see this? God is delaying glory so that many people who are there would eventually believe in Jesus. Glory is being delayed for salvation or for evangelism's sake. And so listen to me very, very clearly. God may not be answering your prayers. God may not be answering you uh, very directly, if you will, right now or right away. But do you think that this could actually be him using this to lead other people into a relationship with him? Let me ask it in a different way. If you knew that God delaying answering your prayer request would be so that other people could be saved, would you accept that with more open hands? Now, we actually already covered this in John chapter nine. And we don't have to wonder if that's what God's doing because in 2 Corinthians, God actually promises that if there's suffering that happens for the Christian's life, he uses it for other people's comfort and salvation, Paul says. And so when you suffer, when God is delaying glory, he will use it so that other people can be saved. Now, you may not see it directly, right? Like you may not have a, a moment of depression and, and that's lasting for a while. You're asking God and then all of a sudden like nine people get saved and you're like, oh, that's obvious. But God may be using your story in ways you don't even know. Your moment of honesty with one person in your community group may lead to them going and asking somebody else, may lead to them sharing the gospel and them getting saved. And God is using your depression that they may come to know Jesus. He's delaying, he's not answering so that somebody can end up coming to know him. Now, if you don't know Jesus, that may sound a little bit awkward, but for those of you who have tasted and experienced the goodness of God, you know that you would be willing to suffer so that other people can taste what you have tasted. You know the joy of what it means to know Christ. You know the, 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 the thrill, right? You know the, the hope that you have, the, the love that you feel. You would sacrifice so that other people can know Jesus if you've tasted the goodness of God. But scripture makes it really clear that he does that. In Martha and Mary and Lazarus' suffering, we get to read this now and find hope and maybe even have people come to know Jesus through this very story. If Lazarus knew that, if Martha knew that, if Mary knew that, they would very easily say, oh yeah, Lord, that's okay. Let, let, let us suffer so that people may know you. And if you know that in your own life, maybe you'd be willing to suffer a little bit more. But I'm promising you, go read 2 Corinthians chapter one. You don't have to wonder if God's using it for people's salvation. He does use your suffering. He promises that, that your suffering leads to others' comfort and their salvation in him. And so God often delays glory for other people's salvation. Let me, let me say this real quick side point too. For some of you, you've been wrestling with God for a while and your struggle to finally come to faith is that you're trying to figure out, is God real? Why won't he answer prayers? Like what's going on? Maybe God is delaying in your own life so that you may know who Jesus is. 
Maybe he's being gracious to you so that you can feel the hope and love that we're talking about, so that you can have the promise that's offered even in this chapter that Jesus loves Mary, he loves Martha, he loves Lazarus, he loves you. Is there any doubt that God loves us? If you think there is, go look at the story of the cross again. He drank up our punishment, our wrath, that we may know who God is. There's no doubt. And so maybe God in delaying is trying to draw you to himself too. Sometimes glory is delayed for salvation or for other people's sake. Third and final point in here is that glory is delayed for love and faith. This is yourself, okay? Glory is delayed for your love and for your faith. Now, do you see how glory affects everybody? or delayed glory affects everybody. Delayed glory brings glory to God. Delayed glory brings glory to others. And delayed glory brings glory to yourself. Glory affects everybody that's involved in this situation. Or delayed glory brings, or affects everybody that's involved. Why do I say this? I want to once again read this text for the fourth time today because I want you to get this, okay? We're going to read verses two through five again and listen to the, the verbs and the adjectives that are being uh, stated here, right? Verse two. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God might be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Is there any doubt that God loves them? No. But God waits. Why? Because God wants to show them love ultimate. He wants to express his faith or or their faith in him ultimate. He wants to draw out their faith. He wants to help them come into a more full understanding and love of who he is. See, there's no doubt that Jesus loves them. But is there doubt that they fully love Jesus? Well, if you read the rest of the text, you can definitely see that in there. They're not fully sure of who Jesus is. They say, we think that if you were here, that he would be risen. Right? Martha actually has the best theology in there and says, we know you're the resurrection, but there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of controversy and Jesus delays it so that they may see that he loves them and in therefore expand their love of him for himself that they may feel love toward him more. He's literally strengthening their love and strengthening their faith by delaying. He's helping them come into a more full understanding. So sometimes we have to trust God's love for us over our current situation and circumstances, even though they may seem to say otherwise. Sometimes we have to trust God's love for us over our current situations and over our current circumstances, even though they may try to tell us otherwise. Let me say that again. Sometimes you have to trust God's love for you over your current situations and circumstances, even though those current situations and circumstances may be painting a really dark light over that. You have to trust God's love for you, even over those things, though they may seem otherwise. You have to remember in the dark what God revealed to you in the light. This is actually why it's so important that when things are going well, you cling to the mercies of God. When things are going well, you draw toward him as much as you possibly can. That when things are going well, you try to find out who is God because when the dark comes, those are the things you have to hold on to. You have to know that God loves you. You have to recognize that God loves you. 
Because when the situations and circumstances may seem to say otherwise, you have to trust, no, God is good. God is for me. He died for me that I may know him. God's love for you is evident. It's evident in scripture. I say this often, but it's, it's hard to get into our hearts. I know that we don't believe it. It's hard for me to believe. Can you hear this? God loves you. God loves you. Broken, confused, messed up, jacked up sinner like me. God loves you. God loves you. And because he loves you, he's for you. God is for you. I don't want you to miss that. That's the most important point here. That God is for you. He loves you. And by delaying glory, he's helping show that. Does Jesus love them? Very, very, very deeply. It's obvious that Jesus loves them. He cries over them. He says that he loves him. They assume his love. Matter of fact, in verse 38, there are people and they say, look at how Jesus loved Lazarus. And they don't even believe in Jesus. They don't even believe that Jesus is real. And he says, wow, Jesus really loves this man, it looks like. Jesus' love for them is obvious. And if it's obvious for them, how much more for you whom he died on the cross for? This was before the death of Christ and they understood that God loved them. After the death of Christ, there should be no mistake in that God loves you. And so just because situation doesn't appear to be that love, that doesn't mean that that's actually the case. And so if you've been saved, you have to know that Jesus loves you and that he died for you and that he gave up his life for you so that you may know him, that you may grow in relationship with him. And because of this, because of that very thing, sometimes he's willing to let you go through a tough season so that you may see that and understand that more. Sometimes he's willing to go through something that's hard so you may see and understand more that he actually loves you because he sees the other side. He knows the end of the story. The beautiful thing about this, about John chapter 11, is that we know the end of the story. But in your life where God isn't answering the prayer, sometimes you don't, you don't know the end of the story. You have to trust that God does. And because he loves you, he's going to work it out for his glory, for other salvation, for your love and faith, for your joy in him. And so we cannot see love and delayed glory or suffering as incompatible. Okay? We cannot see uh, 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 love and delay or, or suffering as things that are incompatible. Just because God loves you doesn't mean there won't be suffering. Sometimes he uses that to actually draw out your love for him and to show you his great love for you. So God extends our faith. He encourages that. And so I said love and faith. These two things can be tied in and out. But Jesus is willing to do the hard thing uh, to delay glory for your faith. Was this hard on Jesus? Yes. Jesus died because of this. Was this hard on Jesus? Yes. Jesus cried because of this. This was a hard situation on Jesus, but he's willing to do the hard things so that you may love him more, so that your faith may expand. See, Jesus was willing to go through this for their sake, and he's willing to delay glory in your life for your sake, so that you may grow in love and faith, so that you may grow into an understanding of him. I was thinking about different stories in my own life. Um, one of them was uh, when I was still in college, I was support raising for uh, a ministry position uh, for a summer internship out in Colorado. And we had to raise like $8,000. And for a college student who only knows a bunch of college students, that's really, really hard to do. Okay. And so I was trying to raise money, sent out a ton of letters, was calling people. I was really faithful. Now I wasn't faithful in class. Okay. I would literally sit in class and just support raise. So it looked like I was working really hard and I got like all D's that semester. All right. Uh, my mom's here. Don't tell her that. Um, but, um, 
like God was kind of coming through and, you know, I'd see a little bit trickle in and ultimately you had to raise uh, all of your support before you could go out because they didn't want you to go out and then not have all your money, not be paid and just kind of be stuck, right? So the day before it was time for me to leave, I had raised a little bit over $3,000. In other words, I was $5,000 short, <laughs> okay? And so I thought, well, maybe I can go out and find a different job or maybe they can figure out a way. And I called them and they were like, hey, sorry, man, if you don't raise your support, we don't know if you can come out. Maybe we can figure something out. And so I'm like stressed. I don't know what to do, you know? And so I actually went to Cedar Point, which is an amusement park up in, uh, up in Ohio, okay? I think of like a Six Flags, if you will, down here. And so I went and just had a lot of fun that day, and I kind of felt like God was telling me, hey, just, just, just believe in me, man. Just believe in me. Just I'm going to come through for you. And so in my mind, what that meant is the Lord was going to like open up some crazy job in Michigan or some crazy job out in Colorado where he'd work it out, right? Well, I got home that night. My mom said, hey, you got a bunch of letters in the mail, today. And I was like, oh, cool. And I opened one and it was a check for like $1,000. Opened another one, it was a check for like $700. Opened another one, it was a check for $2,000. Opened another one, it was a check for like 10 bucks. And the person was like, I'm really sorry, but God told me to give this to you and that he would uh, use it. And literally that was the last one. And I added everything together and it was the exact amount that I needed. Now, is that the Lord or what? even in her faithfulness, 10 bucks, right? You'd probably feel like, that's lame. I guess I'll just send $10. But God literally used that to create the exact amount that I needed. Do you think that when I was raised in support to plant the church that I felt any fear that God wouldn't provide? He already did it before in my own life, right? He already did it in the past. He provided. So why would I fear this time when this time seemed even harder because I had to raise my salary year after year after year? And guess what? God provided. God came through. His delayed glory, his waiting till the last minute for me to get what I needed helped me have faith in him later on in life. Are you tracking with that? Ironically, that was also the summer that I went and met my wife, Natalie, which means that it ultimately led to me standing here today. Delayed glory, God was using for his glory, for other salvation, for my faith and my love in him. When we came to plant the church, we needed to find a house. Okay, and so we were looking, we were looking, we wanted to move into East Austin. Our, apart, or our apartment lease up in North Austin ended in December. We were going to visit my mom in December and our apartment ended in December and it was like December 15th and we had nowhere to live. And so we were afraid that we were going to go up to Michigan and then to kind of come back home and be homeless, I guess. Surf on somebody's couch, right? We didn't have a kid yet, so we could do that as a married couple. And so we were trying to figure out the day before we left, I was driving around East Austin. I saw this house I hadn't seen before and it said for rent, but it was literally like the best location possible. So like, this is going to be like $2,500 a month, right? And so I called up the guy and he was like, yeah, it'll be like $1,650 a month. And I was like, uh, can we have roommates? He was like, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, is it available now? He was like, yeah, that'd be great. So literally we worked out a lease as we're like driving to Michigan, we're signing papers and stuff, sending it back to him so that when we move back down, we move back into our house, right? God provided. So when it was August and we were gonna plant the church in September and we didn't have a building yet, do you think there was fear in my life? No, see, God literally used that situation to remind me I provide. I'm good. So I was doing what I needed to do. It wasn't like I was like, well, whatever, God provided, so he'll provide again. I was looking and looking. We actually sent letters and called over 72 churches and places, and none of them let us meet in there. And then in late August, right before the church was ready to be launched, 
a church called us and said, hey, we have a space. We want you to use it for free. And we used it for free for a whole year. Now it was a dungeon, but it was great. It was exactly what the Lord wanted us to do so that we could build, so that we can be a team, so that we could be where we are today. And so see how God uses delayed glory in your life so that he may increase your faith so that you may believe in him later on. My voice is running out, as y'all could probably tell. And so I wanna finish with this thought, okay? I want you to think about this in your own life. Delayed glory or suffering does block our view of God almost more than anything else. When it seems like God isn't answering, it blocks it almost more than anything else. But suffering has to be viewed differently from God's elect. If you are chosen, if you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, you have to realize that God is using this. Just like he did in those two stories, just like I have literally six stories written here. I wasn't gonna share all of them, but they all, I could share all of them. I probably have 30 more and so do you. Where God delayed glory to expand your faith, you have to realize what God is doing because it's for his glory, other salvation, and for your love and faith to increase. So I want you to look at that prayer request again that you had, that you've been asking God, where he hasn't yet answered, I want you to look at it. I want you to think about it. Or maybe something came up while we were preaching, or maybe you thought about a past experience that you just kind of gave up on. Like, you know what, God's not answering this. I want you to think about it. Can you see how God may be using that very thing that you're praying for, for his glory, and or for other people's salvation, and or for your love and faith to expand, probably all three of those at the same time. Can you see that? Can you begin to think about ways that God could possibly use this to in those ways in your life? Delayed glory God uses because he loves you and he uses it for his glory and for other salvation and for your love and faith in him. Trust Jesus, trust Jesus, trust his love for you. He will come through. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your love for us, Jesus. Martha and Mary and Lazarus had no idea how much you loved them. They assumed that you loved them and they were right, you did. They had no idea the extent of your love. You eventually went on and raised Lazarus, got betrayed into the hands of wicked men that put you to death so that you could pay for their very sin because of how much you loved him, Jesus. You ultimately died so that they can know love eternal not just momentarily, not just to rise again, then to die again like Lazarus did, but so that he can know love eternal, so that we can know love eternal. God, would you help us to realize that? Would you help us to see how much you love us? And that even in things that seem confusing, even in things that seem dark or, 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 or we feel like you're not really answering, would you help us to see how you could be using that for your glory and for other salvation, and for our love and faith to expand in you. Help us to see that you love us, Jesus, that you're for us. We praise in your precious name. Amen. We're going to sing a couple more songs in worship. And one of the things that we do is we do communion uh, as a church. And on the right and the left-hand sides of the room, there are two different places where you can take communion. 
This is a time to remember the love that Jesus does extend to you, to remember how much he cares for you. And so at some point during the next three songs, I would encourage you to check your heart and and to confess sin and then go remember what Jesus did for you. What you do is you rip off a piece of the bread and you dip it in the juice and that resembles Jesus's body being broken for you and his blood being shed for you so that you can have relationship with him so that you can know love eternal. And so when you feel led, I would encourage you to take that. It's open communion. If you don't know if you know Jesus or not yet, I encourage you not to take it. Okay, this is a time for us to remember those of us who have called Jesus Lord, what he's done for us. But let us remember him, even in our worship, even in our singing. I pray that you would know love and feel love. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and do this morning's tithes and offerings. This is a time for us to worship God in our giving, back to him what he's given to us. Uh, Don't feel pressure to give. That's not what this is about. Uh, But we do want to worship God with the things he's given us. I would encourage you, particularly if you're a guest, to drop your communication card um, in that so we can follow up with you. One of the things that I want to do, which is why they were written on the communication card, is I want to, as a group of elders and leaders, pray for those requests that you have on there. The things that you wrote down that you feel like God may be delaying, I want to pray that God would actually come through, that you would actually see his love, or that he would at least reveal why he's delaying in your own life. And so we're going to be praying for those too. Once the offering basket passes you, I would encourage you to uh, stand and let's just worship Jesus together. I love you guys.